back to another edition of Pick and Pod, another playoff edition, which is the most exciting kind of podcast. I'm Kelly Bright. Back with me is Thomas Aiello. And this time we brought in another third member, not two Thomases this time because they wanted to give me a break on my hosting challenges. So this time we have the amazing, the wonderful, the super talented Alex Wolves joining us. Alex, so glad you're on the show. Thomas, you as well. It's always a pleasure. And there's so much to talk about. I, when I was thinking about what we were going to cover in the show, I filled up an entire like two or two to three pages of things I want to talk about. But Alex, you had the pleasure of going to a playoff game in New York for a team that won. So, so how was that experience? How was that going to a Nets playoff game? where they clinched their first playoff series since 2014. Yeah, well, first, that's a lot of superlatives, Kelly. So thank you for that very kind intro. I appreciate it. It's good to be with you guys. I've been an, I've been an avid listener the whole year long, just hearing your takes, hearing your comments, and now happy to be here with you both. But no, it was a lot of fun. You know, I think there's been so much conversation in New York about the Knicks. I feel like every time we are on the show, we're on the podcast, we're in New York, it's all about the Knicks, and rightfully so. They've had an incredible season. We'll get into that a little bit later. But it's, it's all about the Nets. I don't, I don't really care what anybody says this is a Nets town right now because like you said Kelly they're the only team that's winning right now and I think when you have this is something that was a growing theme in the press conferences and watching the game and the fans in the stands you hear just when you have three stars like this whether it's Durant, Harden, Irving whoever you're a fan of you have those three guys in the same court it's must-see TV and I'll tell you that was the first time for me I've been to a playoff game it was the first time I was at Barclays in like two years so such a refreshing experience and just such a fun team to watch I think for me start to finish that game, even though it wasn't the most exciting game in the world because it was really – they had it in the bag at that point. It's all about Milwaukee now. But regardless, that's must-see TV, I think. 24-7, these guys are interesting. Off the court, on the court, they're interesting personalities. They're interesting players, and they're just fun to watch. And you have three of the best isolation players in the game, and that was on full display in Game 5. It was a quiet game. The Celtics, I know, Kelly, you're not too happy about this, but they were pretty much out of it at that point, and it was just these guys showing off, methodically breaking down the Celtics, and it was a fun atmosphere, really in the fourth quarter when they all exploded. And now it's all about Milwaukee now. I mean, this was a warm-up the way I described it. And now I'm just so excited for what they're going to do next series. And it was really great to get a little taste of it in the first round. Yeah, it's, it's funny, Alex, you're right. I feel like we haven't talked about the Nets in forever. And they're one of the best teams in basketball. It's just been so fun watching this Knicks team. But you're right. You mentioned they have three these three all-stars. They're big three, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. I mean, watching the, those three on the court together – I, I can't even imagine seeing it in person. It's, it's fun enough on TV or on, on listening on, over the radio. So I, I bet that was pretty amazing, especially I'm thinking that fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Point the- they hit back to back to back. Mm-hmm. That's when, you know, all those rumors of chemistry issues and ball sharing complications, those are rumors. I mean, these are three of the best offensive weapons, like you mentioned, in basketball. And I think it was fully on display, not only in that game, but also across the entire series, they became the first trio ever to record 200 plus points over two consecutive playoff games. Together, they averaged 85.2 points per game against my lowly Celtics team. Now, to be fair, those Celt- that, that is a hurting Celtics team. We were without Jalen Brown. He's been out. Kemba Walker missed the final two games. And this is a team that we're going to get into them a little bit later, but they have struggled all season. They have not lived up to expectations so, like you mentioned, this was almost like a quiz, and mm-hmm. to me, the Bucks of the test. And I think what we what we have coming up, and that for game one will be Saturday, June fifth, tip off seven thirty, again at home for the Brooklyn Nets. Now you have to me two of the best teams 
in the NBA. If, if you could have two Eastern Conference teams playing a championship, I think this would be it. Um, and I, I think you, you look at this matchup, I think it's one of the most interesting matchups that we're going to have in round two. You have three former MVPs and Giannis Harden and Katie playing at the same time. You have a very strong defensive team versus a very strong offensive team. And I, I'm pretty excited to watch it. Thomas, I'll bring you into the conversation now. How are you feeling? You know, the Bucks swept Miami, the Nets, gentlemen sweep the Celtics. Who, who is going to have the advantage going into the second round? Well, first of all, I have already made my orders for next week to have wings delivered every day that the uh, Nets and Bucks play because this is going to be a show, folks. Now, looking at the teams on paper, without DiVincenzo, I feel the Bucks miss a little bit of that hustle, the, the guy who wins the 50-50 balls. And in the playoffs, as you both know, how important it is to win 50-50 balls, diving for loose balls or loose rebounds or things like that. And DiVincenzo, that element will not be available to the Bucs. Now they can try to recreate that a little bit. If you want to platoon like PJ Tucker and uh, Bryn Forbes in that sort of role, maybe Bobby Portis, who Kelly's a big fan of, he might want to throw himself around on the floor and hit the glass a little bit. But I think the advantage is probably who's going to be able to play defense at the end of the game. Now we know that the nets throughout the season have been below average. I'd say at best at defense, it's not like they are a physically imposing or overpowering team on defense where they're going to try and wear you down. You have to understand that James Harden's one of, I wouldn't say one of the worst defenders in the NBA. He's definitely not an elite defender. He's an okay defender. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant aren't exactly known to do defense throughout their careers. So the Brooklyn Nets are going to have to utilize DeAndre Jordan. And if you want to stop Giannis, you'd have to imagine you'd see two seven foot humanoids trying to stop a super duper humanoid trying to dunk on the entire team. And I also think it's going to come down to how well can you play these matchups and the Brooklyn Nets, Kelly, as you said, not only are they unique off the floor, but on the floor, they're a unique bunch. Kyrie Irving, we know him for being the guy who dribbles in zigzags and loops. And James Harden can do just about everything on offense with his playmaking and creation. And Kevin Durant, when he's healthy, I think, and this might be a take that I'll get yelled at for, I think he might be better than LeBron James. You know, he has perhaps the most unstoppable move since the sky hook from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the pull-up jump shot. He's seven feet tall. He runs like a gazelle and he can simply just reach over people to do stuff. And I think it's going to come down to how well you can score with the basketball and how well the Bucks are going to figure out how to stop such a unique trio. And you would have to imagine Drew Holley is going to be stapling his jersey with Kyrie Irving's shorts. Chris Middleton, I would assume, is going to get the assignment on Harden, and Durant and Giannis are going to go at it. But I would like to see from which bench, the Budenholzer bench or the Nash bomb squad, who's going to step up and help the superstars. I think those are the three key things, if you want to get specific, is what it's going to come down to in this series. Yeah, it's one thing for the Bucks to hold Jimmy Butler to 58 total points in the entire series. It's another thing to have three players who are all better than Jimmy Butler and find a way to stop them. I think you brought up a really good point in the fact that 
I think the biggest question for the Nets defensively is what they're going to do in the paint. You mentioned DeAndre Jordan. He hasn't been playing that many minutes there. Nope. And they've been relying heavily on Blake Griffin and Nicholas Claxton to be their interior defenders. And those two names aren't really equivalent with the power that um, the Bucks have on that the front side of their offense. So uh, I think that's going to come down to I think that's going to be the biggest question in the series, and I think it's going to be determined in the paint. I mean, Giannis, Brooke Lopez, even Bobby Portis, who you know I love, you know, <laughs> Bobby Portis fan. I think that's that's going to be a big challenge for Brooklyn, and I think I, I think it's a classic question here of is their superpower offense going to be enough to make up for whatever holes they have on their defense? Alex, what do you think? I think there's a lot to unpack here. And I think the first thing I want to mention is a little bit about the Celtics series. I think what's important is we're talking a lot about the offense for the Nets. And I think the reason why with a lot of what the guys hit on the press conference was the importance of just playing together again. I think regardless of the quality of the opponent, I know we talked a little about how the Celtics were a little undermanned in that series, obviously. I don't think it was that important, though. You know, there was a lot of questions about are they kind of looking at that series with a little bit of a, you know, an X over it because maybe it wasn't as important because of the injuries and this, that, and the next thing. And the guys didn't really say that. I know Durant, Harden, Irving all emphasized just the importance of being on the court together again, getting some sort of feel for how they're playing with each other. They all acknowledge there's a lot to improve. Defense is one of them. You guys just hit on that, both of you. And there was a lot of chatter on Twitter about Kyrie Irving's defense last night, or Tuesday night, I should say. He was floating in the paint, wasn't really doing a lot on the perimeter. Those are the type of things I think Brooklyn's really going to have to fix heading into the next round. But for me, it, it does come down to the offense, Kelly, because I think when you have three guys that can combine for 100 points in a single game, I find that nearly impossible to beat. And I think the, the I will say about the Bucs, they're a much different team than last year. You know, I'm a Miami Heat fan. You guys know that. Miami whooped them last year, and I thought they were going to do the same this year. I was dead wrong. They, Milwaukee proved a lot in the first round. Drew Howdy is an important addition. Portis is an important addition. Tucker is an important addition. I'm a big believer, though, that stars make the difference in the playoffs. And the thing about the Nets is I have zero worries about any of these guys having a bad night. Harden is now a facilitator. He's a playmaker. He's not really a scorer anymore in the traditional way. Him I have no worries about. Kyrie's mere ball handling presence, I think, makes him a threat no matter what. And Durant, he's not a three-point shooter. He's a mid-range shooter. So I don't worry about him missing. So when you have three guys that are on every single night, they're not a question to me. It's a question, like you said, Thomas, about the bench, about everybody else. It's about Blake Griffin. It's about Nick Claxton. It's about Joe Harris. If these guys can bring the energy, bring the enthusiasm like they did against Boston, because game five, there was a lot of that. Claxton was a key piece in that game. So was Griffin doing the little things. That's what James Harden talked about, doing the little things. I think if Brooklyn does those right, they've got the talent advantage. So there's no question there. As long as they do the little things, I think it'll be honestly a fairly easy series for Brooklyn. I'll go out and say that just because the talent disparity is so big in my mind. Yeah, I'm calling it right now. Bruce Brown is going to have a game. There you go. Uh-oh. He goes off. I, I was waiting for him to do it the entire Celtics series. He was here and there. I mean, he, he gave his 10, 12 points off the bench here and there, but he's going to go off in game. Mark my words. I'm with you. Wow. I, I like that take a lot. I, I honestly feel Bruce Brown is going to be the X factor for the Nets if I really <laughs> want to break it down while we're on the subject of him. Him and Nick Claxton. Now, we know that Claxton – is not an offensive player. That's kind of stating the obvious, but it's pretty known at this point. Now, Alex, you were at the game. Nick Claxton, from the year as the year has gone on, we've seen him steadily improve. Now, when he did uh, have a playoff game in Brooklyn, young players usually seem a little phased. Do you feel that Nick Claxton can step up to guard the freak? Do you think he's going to have the... Um, I guess the tenacity to 
try to deal with that? Or do you think it's going to be more of he's going to need a team effort and, you know, I mean, he's going to get kind of beat up essentially. Yeah. Defense has been a big conversation about the Nets because whereas a lot of people have criticized them in that game where they gave up 126 points and and just outscored the the Celtics. Brooklyn hasn't really seen it that way in my mind. A lot of the press conference conversation was about, they were pleased with the defense because they thought it led to good offense. They said that the reason why they scored so many points was their ability to get stops on defense. And I think that's very true. True. If you look at the game the other night as well, Brooklyn's at their best in transition. I think that's how they win this series is in transition. Because when you have isolation guys like this who can go up and down the court so quickly, who can make shots, who can get energy like that, I think that's how Brooklyn wins. Milwaukee, if you can get them stuck in the half court, that's what we saw Miami do last year. If you can get them in a half court situation and slow them down, I really think it's going to be a fairly easy series for Brooklyn. And in terms of Claxton, I think the thing about him that I remember from the game is he was the first guy out on the court afterward getting shots up. So I think that shows you the point that you just mentioned, Thomas, is about his willingness to improve over the entire year. And I think these guys understand, looking at the conversations Brooklyn has, it's all about the big three, but at the same time, it isn't because the series is going to be won by all these other guys, all these bench players. It's the reason why Milwaukee's doing much better this year because of the supporting pieces. And I think it's the reason why Brooklyn's going to win series because everybody knows about the talent. They're going to get theirs. It's about these other guys. I think Claxton's one of them. And I think he's ready to step up to the big stage based on how he came out and got the extra shots up last night and knows the challenge that's ahead as well. I, I think the reason that the Nets are where they are and they have that second seed is a lot of, in part, because of those smaller pieces, those role players, especially with some of the injuries they dealt with throughout the year. I mean, one of the reasons they're always in conversation is because they're always missing one of their superstars and they were able to still, you know, play as a team, finish with a solid record, finish, get that second seed. So uh, I think, Alex, I think you're spot on in, in that take and the fact that it's going to come down to whose team can come together as a team especially uh, with their bench and pull out this second round series win. But with that, that game one is Saturday, June 5th, again, tip off 730. But I want to move to another New York team that I think this conversation is going to be a little, little less, a little less lighthearted. And as it was last week, we had a conversation about the Knicks. They had just lost their first game with the Hawks. And as of yesterday, they lost game five at home to the Hawks to lose to fall out of the playoffs, final score, 103-89. Trey Young, who is now probably the most hated man in New York. I'm not saying probably. He is the most hated man in New York, and for good reason. He finished with 36 points, 13 from the free throw line, 18 in the fourth quarter, including one three in which he took a bow after and then afterwards told the media that he knows where he is and he knows that there's a bunch of shows in that city, and I know – what they do when the show is over. And with a quote like that, you got to have a lot of confidence. You got to have a lot of reason to back up the talk. And he, he certainly did. He finished his first career playoff series, averaging 29.2 points per game, 9.8 assists, 2.8, um, three, point three pointers. So amazing season, amazing series for Trey Young. Great way to instill himself as a playoff uh, player and as more than just this hot-headed offensive weapon I mean he really showed out now on the other hand Thomas I, I hate to do this to you but we have to talk about what happened to the Knicks and more specifically what happened to their guy in Julius Randle who it looked like towards the beginning of the game he was going to break out of the slump there was a stretch between the end of the first quarter and, and beginning of the second quarter where he started to get back into his rhythm but ultimately he ended with 23 points 13 rebounds in his shooting was never really where it should have been. I mean, this is somebody who dropped 40 points multiple times in the regular season against the season, and he didn't eclipse 30% 
from shooting for the entire series. So he struggled. Uh, RJ had 17. Ro Derek Rose only had six points. He looked exhausted. There were a lot of it, it just wasn't a pretty game and neither have the last three games of the series. They lost those final three games by combined four combined 42 points. So Thomas, terrible transition segue to a Knicks fan, but how are you feeling after that last game after, after what was an amazing season, but I, I'm going to be honest, a very ugly last three games. There's conflicting emotions here. Okay. So I think the first one we need to understand is I am sad. I, I am sad. I thought they were going to beat the Hawks, but Mr. Trey Young is balding chance don't work and neither does um, spitting at him. And that was just uncalled for. But the thing we have to take away from this is that the Knicks were not supposed to be anywhere near the fourth seed. They weren't even supposed to sniff the play in tournament. Okay. They were, if you look at the roster, how it was assembled at the beginning of the year, you would not imagine a team ran by Alfred Payton, Julius Randall, who was, probably the most hated person in New York last year, RJ Barrett, a second year player and Tom Thibodeau, everyone thinking, Oh, he's going to, he's going to run the young players, legs into the ground. And like RJ's little knees are going to explode. Like, okay. And Thibodeau said, you know what? Screw that. Screw these people. We're going to, we're going to do it our way. And you know what? A respectable product came out of that blast furnace. And I, I couldn't be prouder of where they have shown up and ended the season now, against the Hawks, I wanted them to win. I was going Nixon seven uh, originally, but if you really look at it now, the Atlanta Hawks just are an obscenely loaded offensive team. The amount of weapons that Trey Young has at his disposal between Herder, uh, Bogdanovich, who apparently is Clay Thompson, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, Capella, Lou Williams is on the bench making his lemon pepper wings and cam reddish is hurt onyeka okungwu that's 10 11 legitimate like legitimate players who can hurt you in any way shape or form that as they choose now having more skill players is good but the knicks their defense while it's been pretty stellar all season it's not like playing the detroit pistons this was a a different animal for dealing with the Hawks and you know what the fact they won one game is astonishing to me I will I will give them a cookie for that because they did win the one game and I was very gung-ho about oh my god they're gonna win the series like next to the finals I was turning into that guy but then I said wait a second our starting point guard is Derek Rose and not a knock on Derek Rose that he's bad but I mean when he's at the advanced stages that he is now it's not really gonna translate to championship level basketball at least at the moment we're gonna have to wait and see but honestly it's conflicting emotions kelly it's not how the Celtics season ended it's definitely not that kind of disappointing but you know what for where they've been all these years and to see them actually be a respectable basketball team is is a massive remarkable achievement in my eyes I mean, Thomas, this is a team that had a 21 and 45 record last year. Oh and this my God. Fourth in the Eastern Conference and win a playoff game. They won a they won a playoff game. So they did surpass expectations. And I got the feeling in the post-game press conference that that's really what the team was focused on. I mean, they were all talking about how proud they were of the season and how this was the start of something. This was the beginning of, you know, the beginning of a 
I don't, the beginning of the future, you know, it was very positive, it was very forward thinking. And I, 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 th I think that's, if you're on the Knicks team and you're a Knicks fan, I think that's the best way to look at it. I, I don't think this last series is a accurate representation of how well they did play this year, but I do think it points out some of the holes in their team and some of the questions they're definitely going to have to address in the off season. I mean, I, I want to point out, you, you mentioned Clint Capella and I think he was, he was outstanding, especially defensively for the Hawks. And I think he really showcased how missing Mitchell Robinson really hurt this team. I mean, you, you know, you had Taj Gibson and, and Noel, Noel trying to be your answer to, to Clint Capella, who's one of the best defenders in the league, one of the best rim protectors. And, and you even, even Julius Randall, every time that Mitchell Robinson would shade inside, you could tell he got nervous. And, and I mean, Obviously, Randall was nervous the whole time. He was not himself. I mean, Trey Young gets switched on him and he would pass it off. So he wasn't himself. But I think you have some questions there. You have an offseason with $60 million in cap space plus a bunch of first-round picks. You have a lot of players, Derek Rose, Alec Burks, Nerland Zoel, Reggie Bullock, Alfred Payton. They're all going to be free agents. You have, you have these questions with Mitchell Robinson. Do you try and move him? I mean, a broken hand is one thing. A broken foot, that that's another. And, and he's, he has... He's had uh, issues with injuries all season. So is that something you want to deal with? Do you go out and find a replacement for Derrick Rose or do you bring him back? I mean, there's going to be a lot of guards, a lot of point guards on in the free agent market this summer. Do you go after someone crazy? I mean, they avoided doing that um, at the trade deadline, but do you go after someone like Bradley Beal? Do you give up a bunch of this young talent? So, you know, th th there's a lot of questions they're going to have to answer going into this off season, but but like you mentioned, this was a positive season overall, much po much more positive than my Celtics season, that for sure. I mean, you took a young core of Julius Randle, who you mentioned was pretty much awful until this season. RJ Barrett, who's younger than me, Mitchell Robinson, <laughs> and quickly and Toppin and quickly were, I mean, they didn't, they didn't play that many minutes. Like, I almost wish they played more in the series, but when they were in there, they were electric. I mean, uh, just from watching on TV, every time one of them got the ball, it seemed like the garden was louder than ever. I mean, they were chanting Obi Toppin at one point. I think he had a transition layup, and, and you could hear they, the Hawks call a timeout, and everyone was going, Obi Toppin. And just to hear that kind of energy in the garden, I think it's an exciting thing for Knicks fans. And I don't think you go and freak out about having to get rid of Randall. I think I think he can learn from this experience. I mean, he's been in the league seven years, but he hasn't. he doesn't have that much playoff experience, so... I think hopefully he's able to capitalize on how much he's improved this season. And I think, I think one thing I want to ask you about is Tom Thibodeau. And, and I've heard a lot over NBA. I've seen a lot on NBA Twitter, listening to podcasts about some of his decisions throughout the year and in this playoffs, um, you know, not switching Alfred Payton out of the lineup earlier, not trying out different lineups, not making adjustments, um, not managing the load of his best players. So there, you saw like exhaustion set in, um, especially in that last game. So what do you feel, how do you feel about how Tom Thibodeau handled this team throughout the year and in the playoffs? And what are some changes, if any, you want to see from him going forward? I will give you three changes. Okay. So I think the first one with Thibodeau is while it's great to play the star players of the team, I think you also have to understand you have to pull them out at some point, especially in those blowout games in the regular season, because saving those few minutes can really carry over to the playoffs and the legs will be somewhat fresher than what we saw. The second and third thing go hand in hand. And this is regards to trades and free agency. Bring me De'Aaron Fox and sign Serge Ibaka. Now, why do I bring up 
Ibaka and Fox? Well, Ibaka can play the backup five. Now, if you really want to do the whole run, jump, and dunk center thing with Noel and Robinson, I understand it. But Ibaka is just so versatile as a 6'10 power forward center that he is. He can shoot. He can play mid He can shoot mid-range. He can play some still really good defense. He knows how to fit within a championship system. He's won a ring. So he understands what it takes to perform and perform in the playoffs. I think having someone like Ibaka, who's an adult, to put it bluntly, on a team full of toddlers, essentially, would really have a good effect on this team's psyche. Now, De'Aaron Fox, why do I bring up De'Aaron Fox? Now, everyone's going to tell me, okay, well, he's making the $30 million in Sacramento. I get it. But if you want to give up the draft capital for this coming draft and – I don't know. Did they want to take Kevin Knox off of their hands? And do you give them, I, I say, I dare, dare I say, um, like Theo Pinson, I guess, if they want to do the culture thing, because I guess he's got some value in a way. And I don't, you throw another pick in there, maybe the other Dallas pick. Does Sacramento take it? Yeah, maybe, because I don't know how much longer Fox is going to want to be there getting paid all that money to lose games. And Fox is another, this overarching theme is the skill players because the Knicks need skill players. It's incredibly apparent in the, in this Hawks series. Cause you can't be Reggie Bullock as, as much as I like him. You can't be, I shoot threes and play defense, but I can't like create or dribble. That's not going to fly in the NBA playoffs. You need guys who can take care of the basketball, who can create for their own. And they have competent enough playmaking skills and can defer to a star player. Because we know Randall's not a true number one. And we know that Barrett's not... We don't really know if he's a two just yet. He probably can be, but I still think it's a little early to really decide that. But they they were the one and two by default because who else is going to shoot the basketball on the Knicks team? I mean, if you're going to ask Mitchell Robinson to pull out his workout video version of himself where he just does crossovers and shoots threes, I think Tom Thibodeau's going to trade him. So... I mean, you, the theme here is skill players. I would look at Fox and Ibaka because maybe you don't have to give up as much for Fox because I've seen Lillard's name thrown around. Um, people want Kawhi Leonard, depending on how that series goes. Someone threw out Luka Doncic. I don't know why Luka Doncic's name is being thrown out there. I, he's going to stay in Dallas. There's no way they let him leave. So I've... The Knicks mindset yeah, for you. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It is. Every, every player that, like... Every player that makes any kind of hint that they're leaving, the Knicks are like, all right, he's, he's next. next. He's next. He's next. Right. He's got the LA Lakers symbol in his Instagram bio. And I saw like three Knicks posts about it. Oh, we'll get Dennis. Oh, Schroeder. come on. Come on, guys. Martin Rose is another name I've seen. So I, you never know with the Knicks, but I, I have confidence in this Leon Rose front office. I, you know, I think they've done well so far. And I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to help them. I, I really believe this could be a beginning for you guys. All uh, right, news. So, I have confidence in your team. <laughs> I do not have confidence in my team. Uh, and the moves out of Boston just keep getting crazier. Today, we find out that Danny Ainge, who has been there for 18 years as the president of basketball operations, is stepping down from his position. And who is taking his place? None other than this year's head coach who, who had one of the most questionable seasons in Celtics recent history. And that's Brad Stevens, who was hired by Ainge in 2013. He's led the team to a 354 and 282 record, including seven consecutive playoffs and three Eastern Conference Finals appearances. 
He joined the Celtics after coaching at Butler University, where he was the only coach in school history to lead his team to a D1 national championship game, which he did twice. His 318 wins are the fourth most in Celtics history. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. There's a lot of controversy involved. I think, uh, I think the way that this went about, uh, the way that this transaction went about is to me the sketchiest part of it all. I mean, it all happens in the same day. It was very obviously a backroom planned out deal, uh, the old boy network at work kind of thing. And a lot of people have been outspoken, including, including Stephen A. Smith, who went on a, a powerful monologue on first take about this. And I think he made some very good points. I mean, the fact that this is 2021 and Brad Stevens, who some coaches in his position after the way his team performed this season would be on the chopping block. He somehow moves up without any interview process to the full as an executive in their front office. So, and of course, you know, he is a white male. So I think there's a lot of questions here. Um, it is, it's interesting that they didn't try and target anyone else. And I think a huge question is where they go from here. I think they need to be very strategic in how they handle the hiring for their new coach. There's a lot of good options out there, a lot of minority options, good solid minority options. So, you know, I, I, I Thomas, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the handling of this whole situation. Uh, maybe your thoughts on Brad Stevens moving up and then who you think is a, a nice uh, option for a coach for the Celtics for next season. Well, I, I want to congratulate Danny Ainge on a very successful tenure as um, Celtics president of basketball operations. I thought he did a very, very good job. And a lot of people do question trader Danny's uh, some of the decisions over the years he's made, but nonetheless, he's turned into one of the most consistent decision makers in the NBA. I think he's third behind Pat Riley and number one, of course, being Masai Ujiri of the Raptors. I am not upset at this move. Danny Ainge has had health problems. He had a heart attack a couple of years ago, and I'm sure that the stress of adjusting to analytics. Now he's of course, much older human being than we are by many years. And he kind of lives in a little bit of a different NBA, I guess, in a way he still believes in things like teamwork and tough toughness and physicality. And the NBA today is more three point shooting analytics and math. So he tried to adjust. I understand why like Horford came in and the undersized, versatile big man. I understand why all those things happen. Kendrick Perkins is another example, but at some point things just kind of have to disperse into their own way. The same thing we're seeing with Mike Krzyzewski at Duke. He's been there for, it seems like eons at this point, and he's going to retire after this upcoming college season, but things just have to be let go. Now, the new hiring, Brad Stevens, or as we're going to call him here, Trader Brad Ainge. So we're going to combine the two. Brad Stevens is a very well-respected person within the Celtics. I don't have any problem with them bringing him up to that position basketball-wise. The head coaching situation is a little bit more tricky because you have to look at where is the Celtics team. I was telling you and Alex on the pre-show and producer Colin, that everyone that's not named Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown is an expendable. That includes Marcus Smart, who I know, Kelly, you adore as a Celtics fan, but 
I think it's time because he's a valuable asset. You can you can get some stuff back for him. Evan Fournier, do you resign him? I I would say no unless you work out a sign and trade where you get a pick in return. Maybe you want to go that route. Kemba Walker is probably going to be the hardest player to get rid of because that contract it's thirty five million this year and it's only going up for the next year and then he has a thirty seven million dollar player option the year after that. So it's going to definitely be hard. You kind of have to. I guess, bribe teams to take Kemba in a weird way where you have to say, hey, we can attach said player or said pick as a, a goodie bag to take, take our Kemba Walker and give us young assets or any first-round picks that you have that don't have protections on it. I think that's the route the Celtics should go. Now, Brad Stevens, it's going to sort of depend on who he hires. Now, the joke here with the coachings in the NBA with the hirings and firings is the same four people always show up. I'm sure we're going to see Jeff Van Gundy. I'm sure we're going to see, we might see John Calipari. We always see him show up. Jay Wright. I, I haven't even heard or tried to find anything about coaches, but we, I will guess that those names will come up and I'm sure we're going to see Mark Jackson, maybe Lloyd Pierce, Jason Kidd. Um, and then the assistant from the Dallas Mavericks, who name escapes me at this moment, but Becky Hammond. he, no, not Becky, Sorry. Becky Hammond could come up. People think that that can actually happen. I think for her to leave San Antonio is crazy, but if she can take the Boston job, I think that would be the one I would pick if I were her. It's, it's a very tough situation, Boston, because they can go in so many different avenues you don't know what you're going to get. Are they going to hire an average coach? Are they going to hire a guy that wants to win? Are they going to hire a, like a Steve Nash, where it's just the babysitter, essentially, and they try to sign a free agent to kind of manage the personalities if they do decide to go all in? I don't know. There's so many ways they can go, but if you want to build the team up, you got to trade everyone except for Brown and Tatum at this point because I, you need to do, give them something else because this, this, this is not working at, by any means. It's not working. Listen, Thomas, you are preaching to the choir. It's been three years now with the Tatum, Brown, and Kemba Walker uh, trio, and it's not really working. I mean, we, we did get to the Eastern Conference Finals, but this year we're at a first-round exit, and I think you have to keep both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but I think you're right. I think everyone else, as much as it pains for me to see someone like Marcus Smart go, I think you're right, completely right. I think they need this is you need to look at your team and really think, all right, how are we going to get the most – out of the potential of our two superstars. And I think that starts with, for me, getting Kemba Walker out of there. He's he's injured a lot. He hasn't really helped the team. He stepped it up later on in the season, but he, he, he isn't going to move the needle. He isn't an X factor. And I think they do have a lot of young guys who I wish they developed more because had they played some of them more, like Naismith, Pritchard, Robert Williams, Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, you know, I think if you played them more, I think they, honestly, that would have given them uh, more potential as trade assets. So I, I, I think they, that was kind of a mistake on their part, but you do have a lot of young guys that you, you could move out of there. So I, I think you're right on, on that front, as, as far as players go, I, I do think they need to go in and, and definitely make some big moves this off season. And hopefully Brad Stevens is a little bit more willing to trade pieces than, than Danny Ainge was. Now, now do you mentioned Danny Ainge? Danny Ainge did make some key moves. I mean, he is the reason that we have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown by pushing out, uh, who was that, Garnett and Pierce. So that, that brought in those lottery picks. So he did make some good decisions. And I want to clarify by saying I have no problem with Danny Ainge or Brad Stevens. I make fun of Danny Ainge on Twitter because 
but, you know, because everybody on NBA Twitter does that, and I'm a Celtics fan. But I, I think Brad Stevens is a great guy. I think just the process they went about doing that was a little shady. Now, that being said, future coaches, I think I think you're right. There's a lot of names that we see in every conversation. Lloyd Pierce is one of them. Jason Kidd's another. Now, I, I mentioned Becky Hammond. I think she is an option. And one game in April, they, they actually interviewed um, Brad Stevens about her, and he said that there was a, the day was coming very soon for a woman like her to head an NBA bench. So just I've, I'm keeping that quote in the back of my mind when, when I saw this news, but I think there's some other options. Sam Castle, 76ers assistant, he was, a, he was on the Celtics championship winning team in 2008, and he was traded the next season, but he already has some familiarity with the team in 2014, he joined Doc Rivers coaching staff with the Clippers. So he's also, uh, Doc Rivers is obviously beloved by Boston. So the fact that he has those two connections, I think could be really important. Juan Howard, Michigan head coach. I've seen his name in a few conversations. He was just named sporting news coach of the year after bringing the Wolverines to a big 10 title in 2021. Now he's someone, he could make the jump to the NBA from college. I mean, Brad Stevens did it. So why not hire a coach? who's had success in college as well. So I think he's an option. I've seen some people throw out Coach K, the fact that he retired from Duke, that's never going to happen. Anybody who knows Coach K knows that that's just not going to happen. But one other name I'll throw out there, and that's Cara Lawson. Cara Lawson, I don't know if you know her, but she got her start with the Celtics in 2019 and 2020. She was one of the assistants. So she also has a relationship with the team. And she left the NBA to go work as the head coach at Duke women's basketball. So there's a connection there. She was also the first woman to serve as a broadcast analyst for an NBA, broadcast analyst for an NBA game in 2007. So uh, I think those are a bunch of names, a bunch of options, but I'm very excited to see what they do with the Celtics team because this is a Celtics team that is bordering on looking like a 2019 Knicks team where they really just need a change. It's 2020 Knicks team, they really need a change. And I think like it did with the Knicks, it, I think it needs to start with your coach. I think you just need to have someone come in there and rewrite the culture, bring in a bunch of new guys, develop a young core and see what you can do from there. So I'm, I'm definitely excited to see where they go from here. I will, I will leave you with this advice before I start telling you why certain people should be the Celtics coach. Do not hire David Fisdale, please. Whatever you do, don't do it. It will not end well. He, he, he doesn't even want to go to a place like Chicago. He went on first take a while ago and he said, oh, I got a son on the way. I don't really want to coach anymore <laughs> yet. Don't do it, please, for the sake of don't do it. And that one season you brought up with the Knicks, that wasn't even a change. That was just a sellout. That was the Knicks throwing in the towel because they, they didn't have, they have nothing. But as far as who should get the Celtics job, Becky Hammond is so interesting because if you want to dive into the X's and O's and learning X's and O's of basketball, it doesn't get any better than Greg Popovich, mm -hmm. at least for the current moment. That could change if he does retire, which could be soon. Um, the other lady you mentioned, Kara Lawson, I believe was her name. Um, I don't know much about her, but if they want to give her a shot, I mean, you know what? I'm all for it. I think what they need to think about is Stevens is probably going to do the path that he was brought into Boston, where he's going to scour college for, for the next version of him. Now I would say Mark few, but there's no point for him in leaving Gonzaga. He's built a powerhouse there. Jay Wright, as I said, he's not going to leave Villanova. Calipari won't leave Kentucky. 
So you kind of have to start looking a little bit deeper. Now you get into the range of, I guess, Mike Anderson from St. John's, a coach at that level or the guy at Seton Hall, whose name also escapes me at the moment. Okay. Now we're starting to starting to see something more realistic because coaching and college basketball requires incredible strategy. It requires real concentration and detail to game planning. And that's what Boston's all about. I think with their team. So if they want to go from the X's and O perspective, and if Brad wants to go in the position and the path that he was chosen to be the Celtics coach, I think maybe you got to look a little bit deeper other than the big 10 and the ACC or the SEC. But if he wants to go NBA assistant, I wouldn't have a problem with Becky Hammond taking the job. I think she's ready to take on a team. And if you give her Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to work with, I'd say that's a, that's a damn good start. That's, that's, that's a really good start for your first head coaching job for me. And yeah. in terms of, I guess, Marcus Smart, because I know that we're kind of bringing him up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I know you guys really do like him over there, but he needs to go. It's time to just change the team. Neesmith and um, Peyton Pritchard, I think they're serviceable enough to start for now if you guys want to do the tread water thing. So you could do it. There's, but it's it's going to depend on how Brad is going to hire, who he's going to hire for coach, and where they're going to come from. And you gotta you gotta give coaches stuff to succeed with. That's the thing. Well, unfortunately for Celtics fans like myself, we probably won't get answers to any of these questions for the next few weeks. Those players, we won't know questions about for the next few months. But things you will get answers to. There's a lot of playoff action basketball coming up the next few weeks. Lakers Suns on Saturday, that's going to be, or Lakers Suns tomorrow, excuse me, at 10.30. That's going to be a big game. Clippers Mavs tomorrow at 9. And then we mentioned that we started off the show with the Nets. They'll have game one with the Bucks Saturday, June 5th at 7.30. But until then, this has been another episode of Pick and Pod, WFU, WFUV Sports NBA Podcast. I'm Kelly Bright alongside Thomas Aiello. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week.